What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers, and for today's episode, it's a pretty interesting episode, I must say. A little bit out of left field, I know we are getting into deer season coming up, and uh, it's exciting as it is to talk about deer. Travis has uh, cooked up together this podcast. We are talking with J.R. Lanham and Howard Owen to talk about hunting with dogs. Now, J.R. and Howard have been hunting with dogs most of their life, and they take pride in that. They go to competitions. They're very serious about hunting with dogs. What they use dogs for is to hunt coyotes and fox. We get into a bunch of the different styles. We discuss some of their training methods. We get into some of the advantages of hunting with dogs. We also talk about their accolades as they are two competitors in running dogs and field trial competitions. So not only do we discuss hunting with dogs, but we also discuss a little bit more of a controversial topic surrounding hunting with dogs, and that is that it has become unfavorable for a lot of hunters to have people that hunt with dogs around their areas, specifically whitetail hunters um, come to mind. And we get their perspective on that. We also, you know, I, I push back a little bit because I am a whitetail hunter, but I really think that the conversation is one that needed to be had. And I hope that as you guys listen to this, that it can give you guys some new perspective on people that do hunt with dogs. So I'll let you guys listen to the conversation and develop your own opinions, but I would really enjoy hearing back your guys' feedback on this episode. We also would appreciate if you leave us a five-star rating, but also leave us a review. Tell us what you like and don't like about our podcast. It goes a long way with telling us what we need to change, um, grow to our audience, but also uh, it benefits us actually to to have those ratings and it helps um, get a bigger audience. So um, appreciate you guys doing that. And before we jump into today's episode, this podcast is brought to you by Rack Daddy Minerals. Right now, you can go to rackdaddyminerals.com and save yourself 10% at checkout if you type in the code 573. Right now, you know, it's still time to be putting out minerals for sure. I'm, I'm doing that in front of my cameras, but, you know, it's getting closer and closer to season. And around the September 5th um, to September 15th mark, I am transitioning my cameras to mock scrapes or just licking branches or regular scrapes that I'm finding um, that are pretty fresh. Right now, just on the website, Dalton has put up a mock rope scrape kit and what it includes is pre-orbital gland scent uh, it includes a rope it also includes uh, synthetic licking branch scent so really excited for that one I'm gonna give it a shot here this season and see how it does but you know I use mock scrapes all the time and have had a lot of success getting trail cam photos but also getting deer um, within range so I think it's something that we you guys should try out um, Save yourself 10% and support a local uh, Missouri business. With that being said, let's go ahead and get into the episode. Good. 
dead deer, boys. All right, this is an article written by George J. Garrett on the history of the July Foxhound. During 1858, at which time a pair of woolly-haired, cock-eared, tan-colored puppies, a dog and a bitch, from Laid and Tickler were crated and routed for Georgia, reading Sparta for the 1st of July, for which month the dog puppy was named. And his sister was christened Mary. Their advent in Georgia created wide and adverse comments, so intimidated that a joke was perpetrated. Mr. Harvey Dennis, being a friend of Colonel Harris and living in Putnam County, about 20 miles beyond the Oconee River, was notified to come and see the Maryland puppies. He responded and felt much, felt much chagrined when the youngsters were submitted to him. For at that time, the rule was that no puppy could be promising unless its ears were sufficiently long to lap around the nose and be tied into a, a bow knot. Adverse opinions from all sources caused Colonel Harris to place these puppies several miles distant on one of his farms to be raised until grown. He invited the fox hunters for miles distant to join him in a fox hunt during October 1859. They accepted and brought their choice runners with them. The pair of Irish yearlings were coupled and in readiness for their initial race. A red was quickly unkenneled and led off in the direction of the Oconee River out of hearing. Some of the crowd attempted to follow the hounds while others remained, thinking they would bring him back. The fox made his circle and returned, with two hounds in close pursuit pressing him hard while the pack was scattered from the river to the shoulder bone creek. In round numbers, too many of the hounds were leg weary and some had gotten down to a slow trail and the remainder were leading for a ticket home by howling. The chop and yelp of the two hounds were now astonishing astonishing the men, for they were pumping the wind out of their fox, and nothing could head them off. Their earnest and quick-corded quick notes were full of meaning. The fox came in sight, showing signs of distress. The Irish pursuers had marked him for their game. He was forced to shorten his circles and began tacking for another lead, but the unrearing nose of the july and mary guided their spirit their speed and the fox was soon killed in an open cotton patch near pine thicket in about an hour's run no other hounds were in smelling distance the stock of july soared high from now on that's the uh basically the first day that ever everybody got to see what a july fox foxhound could do and uh from then on people have been breeding to that bloodline and uh we're here that was in uh what i say 1858 i think so 1858 here here we are in 2022 and they're still the best fox hound that there is yep that's a great story to hear about the history of july fox hounds now we're sitting down with a couple experienced fox hound trainers july fox hound trainers right we got jr lanham and Howard Owen. You guys probably have heard of them on some previous episodes mm -hmm. where we're talking turkey. But today we wanted to talk about hunting with dogs, and these guys know a thing or two about that. So appreciate you guys joining us. Oh, no problem. My, my honor. You're welcome. 
So before we jump into it, just want to put a, a voice with a name. So I'm Steven. I'm Travis. I'm J.R. Lanham. And I'm Howard Owen. And, you know, when you guys think about the history of July Foxhounds, I'd like to hear about your history with them and how you guys got involved. So whoever wants to take the reins and let us know what made you guys so interested to start hunting with dogs. When I was a kid, uh, I, I stayed at my grandpa's a lot, and uh, he hunted foxhounds. And uh, I, I know I was doing it when I was five years old, maybe before. And uh, we'd we'd hunt at nighttime in the summer when it was hot. Um, he put a bed up in the camper of his old truck, and and uh, I'd crawl up there and sleep most of the night. But um, just grew up with a bunch of old men sitting around a fire listening to dogs run and then in the winter time when it's too cold to go at night we'd hunt in the daytime and that was a lot more fun for me i'd have a shotgun and i'd go out and i'd try to get on the crossing and shoot a coyote um one thing i want to say is uh, they call them fox hounds and and they will run fox or coyote but nowadays uh in missouri the the main thing we do is run coyotes with them but uh even then when i was a kid which would have been in the 70s maybe even late 60s when i first got involved um it was coyotes i think mange hit the foxes in the 60s and it changed the whole game for the fox hunters before that they would all sit and listen to a fox race Uh, they really weren't into killing the fox they were into sitting there and listening to the hound see which hound did the best by the tone of their mouth or the the sound of his voice and uh so I grew up doing that with my grandpa after the foxes had died um, into the coyote area. And uh, just it, I just fell in love with it. Uh, he would take me to the Lincoln County Field Trial, which was a field trial that was within about seven, eight miles of our house. And uh, he'd always enter the dogs in my name, and, and I'd get the trophy, and that was a big deal to me as a kid, you know. And then as I got a little older... Uh, some years he would judge and ride a horse. Well, I'd get to ride my pony along with the judges, and I'd trot along beside them, and I just felt like I was a, a big shot getting to do it. I love riding horses. I love watching hounds run, and it was just the best thing in the world. So I got hooked. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. J.R., what about you, man? Oh, my, my story's about identical to Howard's, but, you know, I, I don't remember not – being around dogs you know my dad done it when i was born and and matter of fact i got an old buddy don williams in arkansas you know first we have a national championship for our july fox hounds called july national the first time i come to it i was five months old my old buddy don always said you know the first time he seen me i was just a little old snot-nosed kid wrapped up in a blanket you know but i, I went to the july national when i was five months old and started but the same way with howard i uh my first hunting experience was hounds was was on red fox i was kind of at the end of that you know when i was you know four or five years old to remember hunting with hounds we'd build a fire at night and all the all the old men and friends would get together and we'd just sit and listen to a red fox race all night you know sit there and listen to everybody and that, that's where i fell in love with it but that kind of that was short-lived you know by the time i was 10 or 11 years old the coyotes had moved in foxes were gone and then the transition over to coyote hounds started you know then we everybody started coyote hunting started hunting them in the daytime and then started doing the competitions a little bit and the fellowship to come with that and it just that's what started my love for it okay and uh just so like a lot of people that don't run dogs don't don't realize the difference between 
you know, running a fox, running a coyote, running a fox, uh, fox are a lot like rabbits. They'll, they'll run in a circle. Your dogs will chase them in a circle all night long. And that's why they could build those fires and, and hang out with each other and build camaraderie while they're listening, listening to their hounds. Um, a coyote, sometimes a coyote will take a, a, a dead line and, and run for miles and miles and miles. And I mean, we've, we've ran them. I mean, there was days that we ran, uh, I remember one day we have our garments on our dogs and we ran, you know, a, a coyote 48 miles in a day, you know, just going from the dog, dog's, uh, mileage on there. And, uh, and a fox is going to stay local, but that's, that's what they're talking about whenever they're saying, you know, they were at the end of an era where you could, you know, just build a campfire and listen, and listen to your dogs all night. Okay. All right. And then you guys kind of talked about going into competitions uh, for July foxhounds. I, I have no experience about running dogs, and so I'm really fascinated by this whole entire subject. And I, I'm curious, how does one judge a contest of a dog chasing coyotes or fox what what goes into a competition that you know makes it a competition yeah well the first part with that you know is when you have the competition you know you know all the dogs are entered one on their own and they're all designated a number that's put on their side and you may have you know my dogs may be dog number 100 105 you know everybody's designated numbers that's all they're all entered under that number and then there's judges placed in the field where the running's going to be taking place. And it's just, it's pretty simple. When the fox or the coyote comes by, you just score the dogs in order as they come through. You know, first dog gets 35, 30, 25, down to, you know, 15 points. And at the end of the day, all your judges are out. They tally them up. The dog that's got the most score, he's your best dog. Okay. And there's two there's two sets of uh, scoring, aren't there? There's uh, hunting and trailing and speed and drive, right? Yeah, there's uh, there's several different ways to do it. It used to just be one. Uh, the national rules um, was for outside. When I say outside, nowadays uh, a lot of people have to have uh, fox pens to compete because of the highways and the amount of people that there are in this world. But it used to be every, every hunt was on the outside. And a judge may see a dog coming through the woods hunting for a track and he would award that dog so many hunting points it was there there's a, a a boundary to how much he can offer or how little but each judge had his own would make up his own mind it, is, it was his discretion as to how many points he awarded to that dog depending on how good a job that dog was doing same way with trailing if a dog's smelling a track and he's barking occasionally but he's really not running he's not he hasn't jumped the game yet but he smells the game and he's progressing the trail. The judge can award him trailing points. The speed drive is black and white. When they cross the road, the first dog gets 35, as JR mentioned. Second dog gets 30. Third dog gets 25, and it goes down from there. Um, now they've got, in the more modern era, uh, in, in fox pens, a lot of times you don't need hunting and trailing. There, there's more game. Uh, it's just speed and drive points pretty much to mo at most of the field trials. And uh, so anybody can score that. Uh, it doesn't really take a judge. Uh, a buddy of mine said, really, they're not judges. They're score takers. You can sit there and you watch them cross the road. You just write the numbers down in order. That's all you have to do. It's it's really easy to judge those. Okay. 
yeah, seems seems pretty simple. You guys, you guys uh, are a couple champions, I believe, right? You guys are you've been doing this for a while and and uh, won you some awards. Yeah, Jr. is always the guy that when I see him coming to the field try, I'm thinking, "Let me a tough day." Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> got to I've got to be right here. Uh, there's the July National is uh, the the king of the July hunts. Uh, there's I don't want to leave out the other breed, the Walkers, the Triggs, the Goodmans. There's other breeds, but uh, and Walkers are the most popular. The, there's more Walkers in this world by far than any other breed. Are they? Uh... Is that what is considered a Krogan hound? Well, a Krogan is... There's a guy named Bill Krogan. He just passed away. He was from Kansas. Um, he had walkers, and he would mix them with whatever he had to to catch coyotes. Okay. And he had coyote-catching dogs, and it, it, everybody went to Bill Krogan for dogs. And it was so he was so far advanced to anybody else that people started calling them krogan dogs he didn't name them that he didn't name the breed it's not even really a legitimate breed i don't think it's just um mainly i think of them as being walker dogs but when they say krogan dogs there's a certain style of dogs they're probably not going to be your winners at the big field trials but if you go coyote hunting they're gonna they're gonna catch be a you dog that's wanting to catch a coyote and a lot of that was from you know we talked about no more foxes no more and that was with the eastern expansion with the coyotes you know they were in kansas you know, this Krogan boy he's talking about, he was catching coyotes before, you know, or, you know he was running coyotes with hounds before it was cool, you know. I mean, right. them dogs were so advanced, you know, because they were there first. You know, the coyotes were there first, and right. he figured it out before anybody else, and it just, that's where everybody went, and therefore that just come a name, you know, that become a breed of hound, okay. a Krogan hound. Okay. Cool. So, uh I guess I didn't answer your question. I kind of got off on the walkers a little bit, but. Uh, I think it was important that you touch on that. We're talking about hunting dogs in general but this is your guys's niche so i appreciate you doing that okay the 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 back to the competition jr and i compete at the july national every year uh there's other people that have won quite a few but right the last what 10 years or 15 years um other people have won but we i've won five of the last I don't really know. I think since 2000, so I guess it's been 22. Yeah, I remember. I, I was. I remember the day you won your first one. Okay, and I do too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Jr. Did you, I believe you might have won with Gray Boy before? Yeah, before I won my first one. Yeah, that's kind of a, you know partial off me and my dad. My dad had hounds, and I went with him. But we, you know, we was wanting the same. And he won it in '96. '96, and I think I was maybe 2000 with Jackie Smith. And I remember with Jackie Smith's win, we were in North Carolina. And at the end of the three-day event, the uh, Master of Hounds reads off the score. And he's up there, and he had read all the way from 10th down to second place. And he, he stopped with second, and he said, I'd like to have two fellows come up here. And he asked me and Alan Kirby to come up. So we knew one of us had won, another one had got second, but we didn't know who. And he said, which one of you guys think you won? And we both shook our heads, and he said, so which one of y'all do you think won? And we both pointed at each other at the same time. And that and Alan had beat me more than I'd beat him in other hunts, but but I won that time. And uh, it just sticks with you. Uh, JR's dad was there. Yeah, but that, that first one's the best. Yeah, one. yeah, JR's dad was there, and he had won it with Grable, and he knew. And uh, he come, he come up, shook my hand, and I, I don't want to get emotional, but... 
Uh, I broke down. Nothing like the first one. Uh-uh. No, there's nothing like the first one. I mean, and and you know, what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, it, there's a lot of, you know, we love our dogs. We love, we love them. I'm not saying like as much as our family, but they're the second most important thing. Yeah. You they know, take up more time. You know, they take up more time. They get a lot of our family's time that we probably yeah. don't. That's that we, what that's what makes it so special. You put all your heart and soul into it, and then you won. Yeah, then you win, you know, and it, 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 it's a really special feeling, I mean. To win that, you know, and I grew up watching, you know, the Kirby boys he's talking about, and my dad and Howard winning that, and I mean, I just couldn't wait, you know, I just couldn't wait to get my shot at it, and like I said, the first time I won, it's the same way, it's just I, I held it in, I didn't break down, but now I wanted too bad. Yeah. Scott reason I didn't. Yeah. He said, "Boy, it's I can't remember his exact words, but like, boy, it's special, ain't it, or something yeah. like that," and I'm like, "Shut up, I'm trying." Not to. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I think you've won a couple more since that yeah. time now, haven't you? Yeah. Both of you have. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, we were kind of trying to hash it out before the podcast got yeah. going, but think you guys we, are one of the top two most winning. Yeah, uh, Dad, We I think we came down to figure Dad had five, and uh, Jr. you've got three, correct? And then your yes. dad has one. Yeah, has one. That is a big part of it. But just myself, I would consider myself a three. Right. And, you know, as far as as far as far I know, Howard's won it the most. I mean, there may be someone else I'm missing, you know, because this, this hunt's been going on for long, a long time. time. But, but I mean, that's the most I know of. Right. I've never won it back-to-back with the same dog like Billy Joe Poindexter won it with Dan twice in a row, right. two years and in a row. That's... Yeah. That's really something. There's people from Canada and all over the United States there. It's a big deal. Well, now this this next question might get a little awkward then since you guys are competitors. <laughs> so we don't want to give up any trade secrets here. But I would assume that there's a, a natural ability for these hounds to, to want to do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But just given the basics, what goes into to getting a dog to even be competition ready or heck just you know, if a guy doesn't want to be in competition, but he wants to kill a lot of coyotes, how how might you go about doing that? Oh, I mean, the the most important part of that is, you know, is just knowing how to take care of your dog. I mean, because, you know, these running hounds, there's something a lot of people don't think about. You know, they probably just think a dog running through the woods barking. They may not realize that dog may run 60 or 70 miles, you know, in a time frame. And like when we go to these competitions, you know, they're three-day events. You know, sometimes them dogs run 150 miles. I mean, in three days, that's right. a lot. So, I mean, I, to get back to your question, what's the most important thing is, you know, conditioning. You know, them dogs have to be in shape. Uh, they have to be fed right. I mean, these dogs have to have, you know, the best diet, you know, the most protein, any kind of vitamin that might help that dog, just like a human athlete. You know, they need to be fed properly and and all that, and you know, and. And, you know, to taking care of your dog, you know, making sure they're in good health, you know, free of worms, uh, you know, like getting the proper diet. And, I mean, there's just a lot of little things, you know, like a dog can't tell you what's wrong with it. He may have a little issue that's, you know, hurting his performance. And now we got to kind of play doctor, figure out what that is, and, and get them healed up. So, I mean, we, we, we really have to take care of your hounds. I mean, um. The other thing is bloodlines. Uh, uh, it's really important. It's really supposed to be the reason that you win. 
you know, uh, everybody, even back in the days of the Judah hound that Travis mentioned, um, the reason everybody came to breed to him was because he was the best. And so breeding is the number one thing. You breed the best to the best, and hopefully you get that kind of pup, you know. But uh, bloodlines is, is really important. I think sometimes you can beat a bloodline by conditioning better than the other fellow or feeding better or more vitamins. I mean, there's some little tricks, and I don't know them all. I wish I did. I, I could probably win more, but uh, bloodlines is important. And uh, really the conditioning that you're talking about, it wasn't so important back in the old days when they run on the outside, but nowadays it's such a grueling deal. Uh, if if dogs are running a coyote and that coyote goes in a hole, those dogs are hearing dogs over the hill. So they pull. So they never got a break. They just have to kick in another gear and get back in the next race and then try to get back to the front where they can get scored. And it's a grueling competition. So conditioning... Uh, if I condition better than JR, his dog might be with mine at that race where the coyote went in a hole, but mine got to the next race and got up front before his did because his was having to stop and get a drink of water or cool off or whatever. So uh, conditioning has been has become the number one factor, maybe even more so than bloodlines. Would you would you think? Probably, you know, because anybody that's serious about it, then bloodlines show themselves. People, you could see who's winning and. And everybody, you know, everybody's wanting that bloodline. So, I mean, the bloodlines are probably stronger, especially for the competition-wise, because, you know, now technology's so good. You know, used to, with the bloodline, you knew a dog was good because you run with him on one of these Friday night fox races we was talking about. Now, you know, there's so much access from all the way to the, you know, from here to the East Coast. You know, you know every good dog. You have the opportunity to go to breed to every good dog there is, and you know about them. There's no hidden secrets. So... Anybody can get that good bloodline. So then, you know, the bloodline is the most important. A lot of it has is who can condition that bloodline to win, you know. Which, that is one thing that, um, I mean, I don't, I know I've watched it through the years progress and and it seems like, you know, everything nowadays is is, uh, expedited and going faster and faster. But back whenever I was a kid, I remember there would be forums, um, there's well first of all there's the hunter's horn which is the the uh fox hunters magazine um and then there was uh forums online that i remember that was like the beginning of the the internet for us at least um that everybody would always be talking on and then um i know dad would always be on the phone every you know every night he'd come in be on the phone for uh hour and a half two hours talking to somebody from from uh, you know North Carolina or Georgia or Mississippi or somewhere else in Missouri or Arkansas and just just talking about dogs and and um, kind of uh, planning the next step. But these bloodlines have been. Uh, I mean, Dad, how long have you bought your dogs from your grandpa, right? Yeah. And how long did he have that bloodline of dogs? You know, and we're keeping. You know, it's a purebred thing that you have to breed in occasionally but it's essentially the same bloodline of dogs for you know hundreds of years you know yeah yeah uh for me i've got the same dogs like if i wanted to trace their bloodlines back he my grandpa died in 86 and i bought the dogs from him from my grandma then 
and uh yeah i can trace right back to those those dogs the dogs that they were out of uh hooker's goober was a dog at, at stud and maybe the 70s i'm not sure but uh he was a really popular dog and people went and bred to him um so yeah it just it goes on and on with the same bloodlines if they're any good uh if you're gonna win the national some of those bloodlines did not go on you you had to switch switch routes so a dog that did not work for you maybe never would run or never would run with speed um you didn't breed to that line you bred to this dog that was in the front of the race every time you know and and uh it's part of the challenge it's a really a big part of the challenge breeding it's figuring out which ones are the best making that cross and every time you raise a litter of puppies you think this is the one and every time not every time but a lot of those times you're like what happened yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and is that what you say whenever travis has grown up right <laughs> <laughs> what happened <laughs> maybe the next one <laughs> Well, well he's he with you, so uh, I mean, willing to breed again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just jumped in the kennel. <laughs> but and uh, and for an outside dog, that one of the things is, you know, the for the field trials, good for a field trial isn't necessarily what is considered good on the outside because on a field trial, you want that dog to be at the front of the race all the time. And if you're just about catching coyotes, you might, you know, you're going to want those dogs that are pressuring that coyote. But sometimes people like to have a dog that, you know, likes to swoop around and cut them off and, and you know, confuse the coyote or, or, you know, just dogs that have tendencies that are not desirable for field trials, but they are desirable for outside of a pen to, to actually put coyotes on the ground. Yeah, there's a lot. You just said a lot. You opened up a big can of worms there because... I had a female, her name was Misfire, and she won Dam of the Year. It's pretty much worldwide, but Canada and, and uh, United States is who competed. And she was not all that fast, but she would never make a lose. In other words, um, the front dogs may lose that track, and they'll be hunting. And when she'd come along, she'd never even stop barking. She'd turn with it and go. She uh, was a track dog is what we call it. Um, now the dogs you're talking about swinging dogs mm -hmm. I think sometimes in the pen environment the swinging dogs can look better because they're swinging forward and they're going to be either that coyote or a different coyote and they're going to be in the front more um, there was certain times when Misfire didn't look all that great because she was a track dog and she was behind those swinging dogs and in a pen her, her uh, specialty wasn't needed as much because uh they didn't have trouble on a good day they could smell with their head up on a bad day she would win just about every time on the outside for the way that's the way i hunt is i actually hunt there's so many different styles and we probably need to get into styles but uh the way i hunt is uh, i hunt on the outside i turn dogs loose i want them to find a coyote i want them to to get it running and i want them to run it well enough that they can catch it and um they'll bay it and then i run in there and uh and i'll kill the coyote or whatever but uh misfire was invaluable there because she would never give that coyote a break a coyote don't have to run fast to be to get tired and to be caught it just has to stay faster than a trot if he's loping 
he can only do that so long and dogs can do it forever so she kept him from being able to slow down to a trot when the front dogs are missing she'd never make a lose and she'd stay after him and uh so the other thing i need to get into is the styles of hunting so i'm i'm a outside we call it outside coyote hunter uh jr you pretty much hunt in the pen right right i love outside coyote hunting used to always do it i'm just right now you know i'm in a time of my life i got four kids from 15 to to seven years old and they're in activities and it kind of slows me down on being able to outside hunt so i'm kindly i kindly stick with the pen running but i still like the outside traits in my dogs if that makes any sense i mean because they have to be able to you know to stay after their game to do any good competing or running in the wild but but beside that something i want to say about howard that we missed out on you know earlier he said misfire was dame of the year that that wasn't just within our july breed that was every foxhound in the united states you know that was your trigs your walkers we're talking thousands upon thousands of dogs so that that's a pretty big honor right you know and that kind of tells me that maybe the track running dog is the best in the world the best yeah, yeah. now i've got i don't have that quite so much anymore i've got more of a swing type dog and um you can win with both um at home i probably maybe i don't have as good a pack of dogs as i used to have you know but um i'm going back that way i'm going back to the track style yeah. of dogs um but there's there's other styles of hunt besides just the pin running or the outside running uh in flat country open country a lot of times uh you've probably seen greyhounds pictures of greyhounds uh chasing coyotes or whatever a lot of people use their dogs from out out of their trucks they drive along they see a coyote and they'll just open the box and let the dogs out looking at the coyote um if they don't catch that coyote somebody's probably at the other road and they're going to turn loose uh, a fresh pack of dogs and and a lot of people run that style which it's that's totally. considered an eyesight dog there there's really kind of two schools of thought there's your scent type dogs and then your, there's your eyesight dogs and your scent dogs are like a july or a krogan hound that that they're gonna be able to smell that coyote whenever it walks through um and it's gonna stay on its trail as long as it can especially if you know if scent conditions are ideal it's gonna be on it the the whole time um an eyesight dog they they're more like a greyhound or a staghound they're real long-legged super fast but all they don't they don't smell that coyote they see that coyote and as soon as they see that coyote they try to close that gap as fast as possible and if it goes in the woods a lot of the times it's that coyote's as good as gone but if it's in the field and in the open a lot of the times even if that coyote's you know a third or a half away you know halfway across that field if you can let that that staghound they're so fast they close that gap so fast that that coyote doesn't have a chance to get to the brush and they're i mean they're three times as fast as a coyote so if they can close that distance and then they you know then you have a catch right there um but now in our our area it, we have mostly you know scent dogs because we don't have as much open area and I, we've hunted with some guys that brought some sight dogs and and they do all right um especially up north where we're from down here in shannon county i don't don't recommend it <laughs> it's all it's all timber yeah uh but yeah they they just um out in the fields they do really really well um that's why out in kansas a lot of those guys have have stag hounds have greyhounds um stuff like that but not as many um 
upset hounds. Uh, one thing that we probably ought to touch on too, I might let JR take over here, but um, just just say somebody like from PETA or whatever was listening to this conversation, they're thinking, oh, this is an awful deal. They're talking about running in pens and catching cows. That's not what we try to do. We Actually, the, the laws regarding the pen, um, they're really strict. But we're even more stricter than the law because anybody that owns a pen has to buy the coyotes. So And that's you, not a simple process either. No. You, you have to have permits to buy. You have to have permits to sell. So you have to have a contact that can sell you a coyote legally. And it can't, you know, it's not like, you know, it's a foot trap or something because that can get the coyote, slow it down enough that you, it's not going to last in a race. It has to be a snare trap coyote or, or a live trap or something like that. Um, and so you, whenever you're in a coyote pen and you're trained dogs, first of all, these are hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of acre pens. I mean, these are not, it's not like we're throwing a bunch of dogs in a, in a pen with a coyote. It's not like that. I mean, these things have oodles and gobs of land. To they cover. live there. Right. They live there. They know, you know, every path, every, every hole in the ground, every, every way to get away from a dog. And then if you do happen to have dogs that are good enough that you can, you know, close that distance and they do catch it, there it is it is extremely frowned upon and, and nobody wants to catch that coyote because that just means first of all, a lot of I think a lot of the times you've charged for it, right? But I know uh that that pen owner has to replace that coyote and it's not cheap and it's not easy and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of permits and stuff involved and it's uh it's just not something that you really want to do no, and that's just like you know we're required you know they have to have so many escapeways for so many acres i'm not sure you don't quote me on it but if it's 10 acres or what but there has to be an escapeway something that that coyote or fox can get in you know to get away from the dogs i mean so there is ways for them to get, I mean, they're going to get away from, you know. And, and as far as running the coyotes, like you're talking about, every true houndsman, it's about the race. That's what it's about. It's right. not about killing the fox. It's not about killing the coyote. It's about listening to the hounds and enjoying your hounds doing what they love. You know, back in the old days, you know, kind of where, you know, fox hadn't started around here, you know, it was kind of a way of life. You know, someone, a farmer would call you, guess what? There's a red fox getting my chickens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how they're getting their eggs. That's. You know, this was kind of a poor, you know, this southern Missouri here's a poor community. A chicken was valuable. Right. Eggs were valuable. If something's getting their chickens, it's got to go. Well, what, you know, they could set a trap, maybe catch a lot. The quickest way was have your buddy bring a fox dog up, and then, you know, they hoped you got it, you know. Right, <laughs> right. And now it's that way with coyotes. I mean, we. I don't know uh, what your. I mean, some people keep track, some people don't, but I know at least one year we were... We were running and uh, not, you know, not firing a shot on a run, you know, never running coyote, but we killed over 125 coyotes. I mean, it's, it's, it does a lot, especially for deer hunters. It does a lot for turkey hunters. It does a lot for small game, hunters. small game hunters. I mean, it, it, and that's why I think we all um, need to be kind of uh, patient with each other, especially, you know. Um, in the in the later months, like you know January, February, where you know 
there's a you know you can bow hunt till January fifteenth, um, but if and and we've ran into times where you know you accidentally run through a section and you didn't know that guy was bow hunting, but and he's upset, and I understand that, but you also have to think about it. I mean, there there's from September fifteenth to January fifteenth. That's that's three months of bow hunting, and that's three months that, for the most part, people don't run dogs. I mean, I'm and so if you're a strict houndsman, who that's that's how you like to hunt. That's how you like to to take your game and and coyote hunt, or you know rabbit hunt even, or coon hunt. Um, there's that's three months out of the year and the best three, the months. best three months out of the year that we're not doing it so that we don't step on people's toes so it's really i mean and, and then it's really easy if you don't un- understand what's going on you're not thinking about it all the time like a houndsman is that you know you're you just had a weekend off and you said well i'll just you know i'll run up to the farm and bow hunt or whatever and then these dogs come through and and you know it's easy to get upset but if well i'll push back on that purely because i i know whitetail hunting and i know there are guys out there that oh i've got the weekend off i'll go bow hunting but then there are guys that are like you guys really passionate about what they do in their niche and they'll spend year round trying to kill a target deer and they only have a certain amount of time to do it and I've been in the woods, not when hunting dogs have run through, but just maybe a neighbor's dog or something, and it's frustrating. Right. So, I'm definitely uh, of that mindset that it can it, it it's a fine line right there. Yeah. Um, right. But you know, it's we are all hunters. We're all in it for the same reason, and I know that you know Howard mentioned something about you know if Pete is listening. Well, I really don't care. If Pete is listening. Right. We're hunters. We yeah. kill. That's, you know, what we do, and we, we do it for the right reasons. Most of us, you know, there's mm-hmm. always bad eggs. Right. And, you know, as far as, you know, the the debate to talk about, you know, running hounds versus, you know, portions of the season, that's, that's a debate that's there. And I don't know if we're going to hash that out here on this episode, but... You know, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about it because you come from a different perspective than I do. And you said something that um, that I understand, and I think we all understand, because you said, you know, you only have a limited amount of time to kill a target buck. And, you know, you put the time and the effort in to try to find this deer and, and put an arrow through him. Think on the flip side. I mean, we've stayed... I mean, nobody's trying to step on anybody's toes here, but at the same time, we fed dogs 365 days a year to hunt them. And and from January onward, I mean, there's there's deer that are killed from that point on, but there's a lot less hunter, you know, bow hunters in the wood that are that hardcore. And that's why it's you know everybody tries to stay off each other's toes but but you got to think you know these guys have been feeding a pack not just a dog i mean a pack sometimes six or or more dogs for a whole year to hunt for you know what is it 
two or three months where it's cold enough yeah. that you can you can run during the during the daytime. A lot of guys will hunt uh, after the in Missouri after the doe season, and uh, so that gives them all of January, all of February. In all of March, and March is not that great. It, it's, it gets hot. Scent conditions get bad towards the end of the month. I, it's just not as good. So really, the fall is the best. Uh, we used to do it. We just don't do it anymore. But uh, I was going to tell you a story. You used to talk about the hardcore hunters. That's who's out there January fifteenth. It, right. it, it's not going to be your passive hunter. It's going to be one of the hardcore guys. And I think it's last year, year before last, we started hunting in January and. And uh, our dogs got after coyote. Man, that thing was... The dogs were putting pressure on him. He went into an area where I knew there was a lot of deer hunting... Uh, well, deer hunters owned the properties. And I thought, well, it's Wednesday or whatever day. It was a day of the week. It was uh, January 15th. And nobody's going to be there. I was just hoping for the best. Well, about that time, they bayed the coyote. So we pulled up there, and my oldest boy, Lowell, went in to the catch he had to walk in there a little ways and while he was in there i was watching his kids uh, a truck pulls up and this guy i'm stay. i'm back too far to say anything the guy starts walking in towards lowell and he gets there and this guy is furious he said i sat in my stand all morning he said and then about an hour ago i hear dogs coming and he said deer are starting to go everywhere i saw 40 something he's told me deer or told lowell 40 some deer and he said, and they just ran past me, and all my chances were gone. And, man, Lowell wanted to say, you probably wouldn't have seen any deer without the dogs. But anyway, the way it worked out, Lowell and him talked. He had a dead coyote right there, and the guy was okay with him uh, killing, uh, killing a coyote, which might kill fawns or whatever. And he realized after he settled down, you know, we're both in the same world trying to do what we love. And and when we left, he was better. He was okay. But it, it was a, a deal where the guy was really mad. It could have got out of hand real easy. But He was willing to have a conversation, though. Yeah, right. and I think the education, uh, the hunters, the hound hunters already know what the risks are and how people react sometimes. But a lot of deer hunters don't understand the hound world at all. And it's just an interference to their hunt. They've got permission to be where they are. Um, the hounds, um, by law, don't have to have permission. And, and it's the law was written that way because coyotes don't have permission to go where they go. They chase the coyote. The coyote goes across the wrong guy. Um, the hounds are going to follow. So it's legal for us to do what we do. It's legal for them to do what they do. Um, we don't like the interference either. Uh, we don't want to interfere with somebody killing a big buck. And uh, they really don't like the interference. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you said it perfectly, Jr. Do you have any comments? No, but he hit it on the head when he was talking about, you know, in a perfect world, it would be awesome if there was a way we could find that middle ground and that interaction between the houndsman and the bow hunter. You know, I, I like the bow hunter. I'm a serious bow hunter. I love it. You know, but the, if there was just a way that everybody could hash it out, you know, a perfect world. You know, we actually have the capabilities now to prevent our dogs from going where we're not supposed to be better than we ever have. I mean, we're in the shape to, you know, get along better now than we were years past. But just finding that ground, you know. I think this conversation happening right now is going to reach 
whitetail hunters and like myself and it it might make them stop and think the next time they see a dog running through where right. they're hunting and i think that's important to hear it from another perspective and i'm so glad you guys brought that perspective for us we're not gonna you know we're not gonna find the the answer right. today but we could have maybe saved some arguments for the future right. i know i know that our reach is limited but mm-hmm. you know it it's good to to talk about it like we have and i think it's good i mean just as passionate as people are to put an arrow through a big buck i mean we're just as passionate about running coyotes and and using our dogs and our bloodlines and everything i mean you you heard the passion today i mean it, it's it's not you know i don't think uh there's been very many people out there just doing this just to do it uh, just because it's something to do i think everybody that that runs hounds um at least and especially in this room is uh we're doing it for the right reason it's because we're passionate it's because you know it's a part of our culture it's a part of who we are and who we grew up being and uh and i mean i don't think that uh i don't think there's that much distance between the two groups of hunters that that you know you can't see across the aisle and understand you know that's that's all we're asking is you know everybody try to be understanding because without that i mean we're all our own worst enemy because yeah. you know like with that you know you know like me deer hunting and you know running hounds both you see it, every day is different every situation is different you know like i don't want i don't want my dogs going through somebody's place while they're deer hunting and you know and with the gps technologies and stuff i can i can stop that you know right. there may be a spot where i know there's deer hunters maybe five miles from where i'm hunting and okay i'm not gonna let my dogs go in there but you know there what if you know, I may get after a pair of running coyotes. Mm-hmm. You know, catch one. Right. You know, go to the catch. I'm dedicated to the catch. Then by the time, you know, I get done with that, get the coyote caught, get back to my vehicle, the rest of my dogs are caught somewhere they're not supposed to be. Right. You know, I mean, they, that can happen. You know, right. And so it much. does. And often. It, and it does. You know, and then they're, well, you should, you know, you, this is my property. You should keep them off. Yes, I want them off, but. I'm sorry, but th- this happened, you know, and I get it, you know. I'm, you know, I can see both sides of it. I mean, as a dog hunter and a deer hunter, you know, lots of people, you know, when your dogs come through there, scares their deer off. I know it's from doing both. Them deer are coming right back. Right. I mean, they're not going nowhere. Right. That's home. They're coming home. But also, as a deer hunter, I know you may just have one day to kill that big buck. Right. And it may have been that day. Yeah, and it may have messed up that day. So I'm I see both sides. I see where they can, it could interfere, and and it kind of where we just need to man that was a bad deal. Maybe, right, you know. and and especially like keeping keeping dogs off places. It's a lot. It's easier the bigger the the parcels as well. I mean, because where we're at, I mean, there's there's people who own five acres, people who own ten acres, people who own. You know, a hundred acres or two hundred acres, but sometimes, I mean, we will run. You know, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, we've had days where we've ran them, you know, forty, fifty miles before. And whenever you're trying, you know, whenever there's the most of the communities okay, and you have, you know, you, there's there's one or two parcels that are five acres that you're trying to keep them off of. It's almost it's like Murphy's law. It 
they that's where they want to go (laughs) right where you don't want them to right (laughs) and that's where i kind of am in a different perspective than most people because i'm fortunate you know we're here where i live if i was hunting the wild there is no private ground you know there's the most public ground you'll find anywhere right here in southern missouri so you know when i if i'm out running my house it's on public ground you know deer hunters are free and welcome to hunt you know missouri law says i can run my dogs and that's kind of what we're getting at you know you know he said earlier that uh you know he didn't care if Peter hurt or not i'm the same way hunters are hunters it don't matter if you're deer hunter if you're a coyote hunter fox hunter hound hunter hunters are hunters and as long as the rules say we should hunt there shouldn't be any division with me because we're we're all in the hunt it's all one right you know we all need to just band together you know right that's the way i look at you know so i'm all for if it's legal you know we should be able to do it right yeah i love it fellas i love it um I want to transition a little bit here because, you know, some thoughts have come up in my head here, and I just I want to see what your guys' thoughts are about them. Because when I when I think about, you know, running dogs to hunt, you know, the top two that come to my mind are running them for like mountain lion or rabbit hunting. Mm-hmm. Those those for whatever reason stick out in my mind. And I'm just curious what you guys think. Do you guys think? And you may have not hunted differently. Do you think that running hounds or running dogs is the most effective way to hunt from a you know strategic standpoint? I think it depends on where you're at. It but, depends on your terrain. But yes, in some situations, especially I, I think yes, as far as where we're from on coyotes specifically, absolutely. I mean, how many people do you know that go out and kill? Over a hundred coyotes in a year with a call. Yeah, I, I don't the know best callers uh, up there, they kill several. Um, the but, best callers I know of maybe kill twenty five or thirty in a year. I mean, the best, the ones that win the competitions, they usually win with seven or eight coyotes. Yeah, but in an argument there, there's people that's just better. I mean, there's people that's got hounds that's not going to catch 150 a year. That's true. Yeah, no, yeah, that's I mean, very true, too. I mean, there's going to be callers somewhere that's that could just be the death end of a coyote, you know. Right. But one advantage I would say that stands with the hounds is 12 months a year, we can take care of the coyote problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's summertime, we can go out and we can catch a coyote. Yep. You know, if it's wintertime, we can go out and catch a coyote. You know, with with, with good trained hounds where, you're, you know, there's times they're going to fit calling. You know, there's times of year I'm sure calling's more effective. I'm sure there's certain times of years there's too much foliage and stuff to mm-hmm. really do any good, too hot, you know. But with the hound, I mean, you're just kind of, I mean, we, you know, we can't hunt them all year round. Right. But we could. I mean, anytime we choose to hunt them, we can't. We have the possibility of, you know, taking care of a coyote. Right. I think it was three years ago. I don't keep track of my numbers. But three or four years ago, I was hunting with Gary, and uh, he kept track of it. And we caught 46 in the summer months, June, July, August, up to September 15th. 46, hunting at night. Then we put the dogs up. You know, we run in pens and went to field trials till after deer season, which I'm going to say was uh, late December sometime. So at that point, our count started again. And we caught 112 coyotes total that year. And uh, I don't know what... Jaron Fry's the best caller right that i know of are the most successful and, and i don't know how many coyotes he kills um 
and I don't know if they can kill them in the summertime like we do. I, I, I guess at nighttime maybe. I'm not. I sure. don't think they'd want to. Just because I mean, just because it's tacky, it's hot, and there's bugs everywhere. You, and it's not something that you really want to sit still in. I mean, sitting in the brush. It's. I just don't think even if, even if uh, you know there was a bounty on them, I don't know if there's too many people that would go out there and sit in the mosquitoes and yeah, all. Yeah, there's that. not a reward for you know no. a dead coyote. It's not worth it much. Nothing in the summertime, but right. Uh, people want you to kill them, so right. We oblige. When I when I think about you know my own like situations, I've been hunting with rabbit dogs for a few years now but there was a time before that where i didn't hunt at all with rabbit dogs and i can tell you that we've killed a hell of a lot more rabbits with dogs with dogs and i couldn't only imagine because i've never been on a mountain lion hunt it'd be a whole lot harder to kill one without dogs i've only heard of maybe one or two people doing it and uh and it was they cut a track just like you would with a with a hound they cut a track in the snow and they followed it up and they kept following it until there there was a real big thicket there that they thought you know this this cat might be in this thicket and then they'd set up and they they'd predator call and then if you know after an hour or whatever they didn't see anything they'd proceed through the thicket and they'd come on to the next one and and that's the only other way i've ever heard of somebody killing a mountain lion besides maybe just like happenstance maybe but, but killing you was, your cows or something right but you was talking about the difficulty of killing a mountain lion back in 2011 2012 i went on a guided elk hunt in new mexico and that outfitter they outfitter they also did guided mountain lion hunts and had very good dogs and killed lots of mountain lions well we was there in the middle of september during the bow season and we was overlooking a canyon glass for elk and a mountain lion walked out Walked across, we videoed it. It went down, just laid down a rock. It was kind of overlooking that valley, kind of like we was. And my guide was ecstatic because that was the second mountain lion he'd ever seen in the daytime. Holy cow. You know, without dogs having it up a tree. The right. second one. You know, living in mountain lion country where they're at, the second one he ever seen. So, yeah, that that just tells you. You just imagine about mountain lion. Yeah, with dogs, it would be virtually impossible, I would think. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, from a strategic standpoint, a lot of a lot of hunters that don't know much about hunting with dogs uh, maybe should start looking into it because yeah. it seems to be pretty effective. If you but, got, I tell you what, a lot of people talk about you know having coon problems by coon dog. It, I mean, it you can kill a ton of coons with a coon dog. Yeah, that, and that worries me about the coyotes. You know, like. We still have a healthy population of coyote hunters here that take out a lot of coyotes. You know, we got coyotes that are not overabundant. We used to have lots of coon dogs. They're no more. Nobody coon hunts no more. I can tell you firsthand, coons are getting out of control. It's nothing to, you know, have a bait side out or something like that. And there'd be 20 coons on one pile of corn. And that's anywhere you want to put a pile of corn, you know, from no hunters. So I've seen them. Their, their numbers explode since the coon hunting has stopped, you know, and I've seen coyotes come in and kill them coons on camera, you know, on my video cameras, I've seen coyotes come in and catch coons, so if we let something that'll catch a coon get right. that overpopulated, there goes your deal. you know, I mean, then you got a real predator out there, right. you know, I mean, that could happen, I mean, that's something that could very happen if we, you know, if the running of coyotes ends and they get out of control, who knows what effects it'll have on everything. Right. 
that's something to, to take seriously. I mean, you know, especially Missouri hunters and a lot of other hunters across the states who really care about their turkey populations, then they should care about coyotes. They should care about coons, and they should care about managing for those. And Had we mentioned the uh, who the national turkey calling champion is? Oh yeah, this year? yeah. I think a congratulations is in order. Yeah. Congrats, Jr. Didn't didn't you win a pretty big competition? Yeah, I won turkey the coon? I won the national championship in Yellville. About, what, two weeks ago? About two weeks ago. Heck, yeah. Yep. You mentioned a, a pretty interesting story that I had never heard uh, about the the competition itself. I think it would be great for our, our listeners. Yeah, to yeah. yeah no. this, uh, this national co- championship I'm talking about, it's in Yellville, Arkansas, which is in northern central Arkansas there. Uh, this is where turkey calling started. This is the oldest turkey calling contest in the United States. And it just, you know, back, this is about the 80th year annual year so 80 years ago you know the members of that community felt like they were the best turkey hunters in the country and they just throwed a challenge out there let's you want you think you're the best come to yellville we'll we'll see and people answered and they come from all over and it just this big contest started growing and growing as a national championship and, and that was the contest to win when you won it you was the best in the world and it got big you know they have a they have a big festival in that town every year it's called turkey trot and honor it and it it's just a neat deal it's a it was the start you know i, I like the competition coyote hunt i like the competition turkey hunt and that was just the start of it so that oh jackson owen <laughs> camden he's oh. like i thought we were supposed to go to the creek today yeah. <laughs> the river yeah the river <laughs> okay yeah well congrats on that man uh competition is good you know, it is hel- if, it, if it's done in a healthy way, man, competition can be awesome. And I think, you know, with your with your turkey calling, you know, you, you've really, you know, made a lot of people proud from this area and in Missouri to be turkey hunters and turkey callers. And it, it's something, you know, we're talking right now, what we're talking about, things that we're talking about are, you know, if you're a really passionate outdoorsman and hunter, mm-hmm. pretty common to hear about. But if you're somebody that is on the fence, it's almost like it's a dying sport. And and we don't want that. Right. You know, that's why we're here. We're talking about it. We're embracing it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that we can get this stuff out here. It's really good stuff. Now, as far as back on the subject of hunting dogs, Howard, you mentioned there was some styles. Did we cover all the styles that, that uh, go into it? I don't know. Um, so we talked about coyote hunting on the outside. Okay, there's there's night hunting, uh, which is different than the day hunting. Day hunting, uh, it's a more popular thing because you get to see the coyote. You get to see a lot of deer and turkey. I mean, the, the dogs running through there, you'll see wildlife pushed out. Uh, back to what somebody mentioned earlier, that you'll also get to see if you sit there, the deer going right back into those places that they're running out um nighttime it's boring to some people you gotta you gotta love what you do uh every dog has a unique bark and uh so you sit there and you're listening and trying to figure out which dogs on the front end try to figure out which dogs picking the loses and and all that um then you've got the the pin running which can be done either day or night um the pin running keeps them in an area so you get to see more uh 
but it's it's uh, not quite the thrill, I don't guess, that outside running is. Uh, you know, those coyotes were put there. They're fed. It's not as exciting as going to the outside and seeing a coyote that's wild that the dogs actually produced, you know. So uh, we talked about the sight running dogs. Uh, some people do the, use uh, scent dogs as sight dogs, and when they run to the woods, they will continue the track. Um that's another style. I don't really, I can't think of anything else. But most of the styles we're talking about, that you're limited to your country you got to hunt. Yeah. I mean, your style revolves around your hunting ground. You know, you might, you know, you might live in an area that requires this type of dog, but you can't hunt there, so you have to go to, you know, flat country and hunt, you know, and then you need a different types. So, I mean, basically when you talk about styles, it's the ground you live in determines the style you choose. Yeah. All right. I mean, you know, really thick country, you need a really dog with a good nose and stuff like that like i said in open country they might need dry yeah up north uh all the guys that ever buy dogs for me they want big dogs because they talk about the snow being deep the deer have caused trails through this deep snow uh the dogs can get through it into the trails uh they just run up and down them trails the cows don't get off the trails much uh it, it's a it's a total different style really than what we Right. For me, uh, a poor dog here can get along pretty well up there because they don't have to be such a track dog. They just keep following those trails, that the deer trails or, or whatever, and they're going to find him again. He's going to be in that trail somewhere. Uh, and then you talked about rabbit hunting. There's guys who do it like that. They've they've got dogs. They walk with them. They hunt like, like beagles. And uh, there's some of that just not too far from me. Uh, guys go out and hunt on foot so yep. most of us have to stay in trucks because it takes in quite a bit of country and it's still in parts of the world i guess they're still you know they jump on the horses and tally yeah. up the fox and yeah tally ho. and i mean just like you imagine you know when you see the old timey fox out and jump into you know the rail the wooden or the stone fences and all that i mean i guess that's still english. alive yeah english, you know, the english style you know that's still alive too so yeah. i mean it's where everybody's wearing red coats and helmets and riding white steeds <laughs> jump and you know following a pack of you know sometimes 20 30 dogs it's just a whole nother way of doing things and they you know the hunter's horn the magazine actually came from uh back in the day the englishmen would uh bring a horn where they would blow into to call their give their dogs commands you know to come back or or you know i guess to stop chase and and other stuff and and we actually growing up we all had horns in the truck and some people would you know blow their horn to you know let their dog know come back because that dog's barking and running through stuff and and you know he might he might be too far to hear you yell and you know you blow that horn and then they'll come back and it's an actual it's an actual cow horn that's hollowed out on the inside with usually a little brass fitting on the end but it yeah a little mouthpiece and uh it's that was always pretty neat to me as a kid just something that i always look forward to things have changed a lot just in my life oh yeah uh it used to be there was no tracking collar of any kind and the dogs were trained to come home they would they would come home or come to a horn you'd blow a horn when you fed the dogs and then when you blew the horn at the end of the race, the dogs would come to you. And then in, in about the mid-80s, they come out with these telemetry collars. 
uh, we point an antenna and the beep gets louder when you point towards the, the collar. And uh, so that helped us gather up dogs. Now we have GPS collars. You could tell when they're crossing the road, when they're on the bridge. I mean, you could tell exactly where they are. And JR mentioned earlier, uh, you can stop them. Uh, on that, I hate to shock my dog when he's running a coyote because he's going on to a place that a, a deer hunter is, you know, because the dog doesn't realize that he's getting shocked because of a deer hunter. He thinks he's getting shocked because he's running a coyote or whatever. You just don't want to screw your dog up. But it is, if you have to get him stopped, you can get we him can. stopped. Yeah. But, you know, you're talking about things that change, you know, and that's the hardest thing, you know, for me, is, you know, talking about from now running hounds, you know, I'm going to run them for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm going to have them. But, you know, it's kind of hard for me, you know, like when I started a kid, you know, we were talking about the foxes and that went to coyotes. But it was kind of the same. There was no really no deer in this country. You know, there was no deer. And, you know, we went from a spot to where, you know, we were the heroes. People called us from 30 miles in every direction. Come kill the, you know, come run these coyotes. Get these coyotes off of me. They've, they've killed a calf. They're in my sheep. They're in my chickens. You know, and everybody wanted you to now, you know, as the deer hunting's gotten more popular, you're, you know, everybody wants them away from you. You know, you know some of them farms that we were begged to come hunt, you know, we're not wanted, you know. And that that's just, it's hard. I mean, it's their property it's their right but it's hard to take you know yeah yeah i i completely understand where you're coming from you know you're you're used to doing something and, and things start changing and and is it for the better i don't know because we kind of touched on that earlier yeah. about if this stuff goes away how effective are we going to be at at killing coyotes right. and coons and and once the i mean once the bloodlines go away you're not getting them back I mean, it it's going to be another 200 years of breeding lap dogs to, to you know, or 300 years to, to get them back. So if if you know, it's something that is has a, a value, and that if it ever did go away, it just I I think it'd be a crime against you know against both the dogs and the the people because you know people been especially in this area. I mean, ever since the pioneers came through, they were, if you didn't have a good dog, you know, chances are, I mean, if you had a bad dog, it was, it was better than not having a dog, but if you didn't have a good dog, sometimes it was life or death, you know, and, and there's a lot of books about, you know, the pioneers that they talk about their dogs and they talk about, you know, how their dogs saved their lives or, or, you know, kept them fed and, and you're not going to get it back if you lose it. And, and I think it'd be a shame to lose it. So, um, yeah, for a lot of the reasons we already touched on and, you know, it could come back to bite us pretty right. good. Yeah. JR's dad was talking about, you know, when he was younger, people had a dog that would chase cow or rabbits or coyotes or squirrels it was used for everything right uh nighttime you might take a coon hunt it's just um it, it's it's something that if you're a dog man you understand it, it it's it's a, a dog a dog guy i am a dog guy and i like hunting turkeys and i hunt deer but i would love deer more deer hunting more if i could run dogs i just i like hunting stuff with dogs 
Right. I like the excitement of hearing the the dogs barking, getting closer, and getting ready. And I could just imagine shooting a buck like that. Right. <laughs> that being an adrenaline rush Let's, right there. Yeah. Let's go down to Arkansas. <laughs> I mean, it, they've There's, been they've been running deer down there for hundreds and, of years. And like I said earlier, if it's legal. And it's legal hunting in your state, more power to it. That right. I mean, if, if we're going to touch on anything, if we start talking about the interaction between bow hunters, coyote hunters, fox, but hound dogs, you know, the main thing, I've, I've said it again again, I, everybody, why can't we all just get along? Right. You know, if it's legal, we all, it would be amazing if we could all just get together and hash it out and, right. and go, but I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. yeah. Time's going to tell. We're going to be here talking about it, trying to keep that from ever happening. And I just, you know, I appreciate you guys jumping on this podcast. This was a really incredible, fun one. Um, I didn't know if there was anything else before we tied a bow on it. If you guys had anything. Nope. Uh, We can edit this out or not. I don't know. But uh, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) uh, There's been times where I've tried talking to people who aren't who aren't uh big time bow hunters they're just bow hunters that you know maybe go out to the farm or at least you know a few times a year or whatever and uh and i've heard people mention you know well if i see a dog come across my place well then i'll just shoot it i don't recommend it uh not only would that be a huge problem between you and the dog owner it'd be a huge problem between you and the federal government um it is a felony and uh they don't they don't play around with it uh and plus i mean just if you're gonna shoot somebody's dog that's pretty pretty sad thing to do i mean but i'm glad you threw that in there yeah because i mean at the end of the day it's hunting it's supposed to be fun you can take it seriously but we've already established how much work goes into these dogs but not only that you know it could be some kid's pet running through there that is family to them right and it it's uh it doesn't take a lot for you to just let it go on by right. heck it could help you out right. unintentionally it might get you that big buck that you right. always wanted mm-hmm. but like we established too you know there, there are just a handful of days that you know you can legally run house and you know in missouri Right. During the deer season. I mean, so, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, it's, them may just be the few days they get to hunt, but I mean, they're really few compared to, especially when you talk about the best part of it. You know? Right. Yeah. Chances are. The chances are there's not going to be no interaction. So. Right. Right. And that's what we strive for is that there's just not a, we don't have to interact with each other and we don't, you know, nobody steps on anybody's toes and that's what we go for. But if, if something were to happen, just, I would not. I would not recommend doing that. The few reaction, the few times that it does happen, the very few times that it happens, because I can tell you, since I've been hunting, which has been for quite a while, I've only ran into a neighbor's dog. You know, I've never ran into people running dogs. So just take that interaction and and make it a positive one. Right, yeah. And, And that dog, that dog hunter, they can help you out a lot, especially in the long run. So... And they're really they're in there doing you a favor. I mean, if you if you want, you know, that big buck can breed as many does as he wants. If a coyote eats all those fawns, you know, kills them fawns, it 
doesn't really amount to nothing. So, you know, it, it, it's helping everybody out, and uh, and we all, you know, we all want to go home at the end of the day, all being friends, and you know, stay in a tight knit com- community and and helping each other and and talking to each other and working things out. Well, folks, I think we beat that one in the dirt. I appreciate you guys jumping on. Um, Really great to hear your perspective. Travis, do you have any last thoughts? No, sir. All right. Well, folks, that's how we do it on the 573. We'll see you on the next one.